and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 70, another massive milestone that we've hit together and we are officially starting the countdown to the big 100. We are going to be celebrating in all the right ways to celebrate 100 episodes of your favourite drama podcast. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout and this week I am joined by an absolutely phenomenal actor who we will mostly know as the head of Mead Publications. Please welcome to the podcast, Alan Dale. Drama school dropout, no graduation day for you. Drama school dropout, don't you hold course, now try something new. Drama school dropout. Hello, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well. I'm pleased you asked. I'm actually very well today. I'm, I'm glad, genuinely, after the, the times that we've had, I'm glad when everyone's like, yes, I'm very well. It's always nice to hear. Yeah, well, I'm old enough to have got terrified when all of this happened. So we sort of hid under a, a pillow for um, seven months and then quietly uh, crept back out again and then um, started working with testing three times a week and everything that I've had all the shots that you can have yeah and I, I you know when every time they mention anything I, I rush up to the chemist shop and see if I can get another one <laughs> yeah. so I'm you know, completely a pincushion really yeah well thank god we're all still here all families everything are okay yeah indeed are you, are you in Edinburgh so I'm in Glasgow so I'm like 45 Glasgow. minutes away from Edinburgh I've never been to Glasgow, best city in Scotland. Yeah, you guys are you guys are the headbutting people. They're the yeah. tough little Glasgow yeah. case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glasgow should be the capital city. Edinburgh's not so great. Oh right, I've only ever been to Edinburgh. I went there because Stephen Dennis got married there in Edinburgh in a castle. And, Did you enjoy uh, it? Stephen was in Neighbours, of course. He's in Neighbours, so yeah, I went there for that. And we had a. a, a raucous times is all i can say yeah i should probably ask you about neighbors because it's been announced that channel five in the uk aren't renewing their contracted sort of and i know channel five pick up a lot of the production bill for that so it's sort of coming to an end how do you feel about that and are you going back for the end well they haven't invited me back for the end that would cost them money um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um no i'm not i don't so i don't think i am going back for the end but um yeah, it's sad because it's it's it was a great little show, and I mean, when you see the people that have come through there that have gone on to have success, it seems you know a, a bit of a shame that uh, Aussie actors aren't going to have that you know that vehicle to sort of test themselves out and mm. learn the ropes and all that stuff. It all comes under this new sort of thing that all of the governments are sort of doing, where it's like you must make British content with British actors, and that must be the majority of your. It's funny you should say that because I can recall when I first arrived in Australia, which was 1979 uh, from New Zealand, um, uh, they had just had this marches in the street and everything. And they got this thing where they had Australian content as part of the regulations. And it was great. But um, eventually, I, before I came to America, I remember the American SAG organization, Screen Actors Guild, had uh, brought a court case against equity in uh, in Australia and forced, you know, I guess with the the production companies and everything, they wouldn't have they'd have been on our side, but the but the networks got um, um, got behind it as well, so that we could no longer have Australian content requirement. Mm. 
So uh, that's a long, long story. Sorry about that. In, in ways, I think it's great because it's going to open more opportunities for new projects to be discovered. Oh, and- well, listen, if, if, that's, yeah, if, that, if that actually happens, I agree with completely. Mm. I mean, I came to America because, you know, for the opportunities and mm. I've, I've had them and it's been great. But I have to say that that protection that um, is what made Neighbours and what made Home yeah. and Away. No, it's really sad that and- things are going to end. Yeah. So hopefully so, so little, things yeah. pick up and pros outweigh cons and things get picked back up and hopefully someone will come through in the 11th of in the 11th hour and save all these shows that are sort of being threatened by the legislations and that. It's just strange though because of course um, when I first came to the states 20 years ago there were four networks maybe five with HBO that made uh, original content but now everybody does it i mean um i noticed that um the history channel had a drama lincoln the other night and Mm. and uh um everybody's making drama there is more being made in the world now than ever before Mm. so really it's a great great time to be in the industry uh because opportunities must be wonderful i mean i i've always been one that never worried about that stuff i've must admit I've been a bit lucky, but I've also thought when people say the job is, I'm not allowed to say rude words, but you know, the job is not good. Uh, I always say, well, it's, but for me, I only want one. I only need one, you know? So this, like, I don't care if the whole industry's, you know, in trouble, there'll be one job somewhere. And, yeah. that, and it, there always has been. Mm. So I just think that's the way to look at it. And the rest of it's all just stories because everybody has their own experience with this stuff. Well, as as somebody who's graduating in the next couple of months, I would like to know where all of these opportunities are so I can go and hunt them down and try and take advantage of some of them. Well, it's interesting you should say that. My my thing about that is simply the stories, you know, in life. If you, everyone you talk to has got a story about, you know, oh, have a look what's happening with the COVID thing or what's happening with Screen Actors Guild or... You know, what about the politics? And, and then they go off into a story, you know, like this. And it's all just fanciful nonsense. Mm. You know, really, every story, because people I say to me, I've often been asked this, because and I did it myself for 20 years living in Australia. I would meet up with people at auditions and things, you know, actors I didn't know, but who had been to America. And my first question was, how do you get a green card, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and they would look at me sort of blankly, um, because, the, and, the, and I discovered this, the reason that you look at people blankly when they ask those sorts of questions is that every single person has their own individual experience of it. Mm. You know, so like if you're finishing your studies and you're about to start working, then um, your first question is going to be, well, I need a representative. I need mm. someone to representation, you know, like my Emma, who I have there in, in England. She's just wonderful. Emma Bloomfield, and um, she is very lovely. Oh, she's no, but she's just also a wonderful agent. And looks after me so well, and you know I don't do that much over there, but everything I've done has been such a pleasure and been organised so well. So that's what you want. You want somebody who's going to represent you. But getting that person is really everyone has their own experience of it. You know, you might do it. Yeah, there's no clear cut journey. No, there isn't. And so don't worry about that. Mm. Just decide this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go, and. Uh, Get out of my way. That's yeah. the only thing I would say to anybody. Just keep out of my, just don't get in my way while I'm doing this. That's all. Steamroll through it. What mm. I always like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, how did you get into acting and what was your very first role? And it doesn't have to be a professional role or anything. We love a good school play story. Right. Well, 
the school I went to was a school called Onehunga, which is a Maori word. I don't know what it means, actually. I should. Um, high school. It was just a high school, and they didn't have a drama club or anything. Not, you know, we didn't study drama at school. But they, I remember the first um, assistant principal um, standing up at, at uh, assembly one morning and saying, right, well, it's... Um, it's June, and in June we have the school concert. And so I want all classes to come up with different things you're going to do, and I want the rugby team to come up with something and the, and the Maori club to come up with songs and hakas and, um, and things. And if you've got something, if you can juggle or something, you know, just come and see me afterwards and, you know, and we'll give you a spot to do some juggling or something. Yeah. Well, I went home and said to my dad that this is what was happening, and he said, you know, and this is a guy you won't even remember, you won't know this person, but he said, you know, you're, you're really good at imitating Shelley Berman, the American comedian, because, I, I, you know, I play it on the record player sometimes for you and you and you 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 do that. So um, why, why don't you get up and imitate Shelley Berman? Well, it, there's no way in front of, you know, a, a thousand people, you know, we school wore a school <laughs> uniform and things, and, you know, getting up there and being Shelley Berman. So he meticulously sat down with the with the long playing record, you know, moved it across the thing and wrote down all the words for one of his pieces. And I got up on stage and did it. And, um, uh, you know, I'll just do a little bit of it, you know. Hello, uh, you don't know me. I work in the office building right across the street from your store. No, no, Southwest. Yes, yeah. I was just looking out the window at, it, it, yeah, it's a lovely day outside, yes. Um, <clears throat> there's a woman hanging from the 10th floor of your building. Well, I don't know how she got up there. She, well, I don't know, 10th floor, lingerie? Well, maybe she tried something on and snapped out. I don't know, but she's <laughs> hanging there. And, you know, and, and I did this thing and um, the audience roared with laughter. It's amazing that that still just, you mentioned it and it all just came flooding back. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they, and they laughed and I got the laugh. And that's the thing that gets you, you know. And if the audience suddenly is with you, you know, and then the next day at school, you know, kids would come up to me and say, my father thought you were just miming, you know, because you were just, you know, and I wasn't, I, you know, I, his voice was a bit higher than mine. It was interesting because Shelley Berman was in uh, Grey's Anatomy playing um, uh, in the early one or two seasons. He played a, a, a guy whose wife was, uh, had Alzheimer's, was, was in there. And I tried, I joined my agency. And one of the things that my agent here in America said was that he represented Shelley Berman. And I said, okay, well, I'll join you if you'll introduce me. He never did. So I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Sack the agent. Yeah. So that was the first thing I ever did. And the reason that I sort of was there is, well, see, we didn't get television in New Zealand until the early 60s. And so people had hobbies in those days. I know people still have hobbies, but, you know, but television sort of swamped all of that. And, and things, but my and my parents' hobby was um, in a local theatre group, you know. And they, mum would paint the sets and things, and dad would act in the things. And he ended up running off with one of the actresses there, and they got divorced. And you know, so I was sort of around it. Um, mm. So, and then you know, as I got older, there was only amateur theatre. Was I think there was one professional theatre called Downstage in Wellington. I lived in Auckland, which is you know, eight hours drive away. So, you know, there was no professional theatre. There was no pl place to make a living, you know. You can now become an official drama school dropout. We're now on Patreon and you can help this podcast grow on so many levels.
As an official drama school dropout, you'll have access to unique benefits, including exclusive early access to episodes before anyone else. To become an official drama school dropout, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash drama school dropout. If you were doing a one month run in the West End, and I always say West End and not Broadway, because then I can come and see it. And the director comes and says to you, listen, we've really, we've got more money than we need and we can just throw caution to the wind and you're in a two-person show. Who do you want to be your co-star? And you can pick anyone, any actor that's alive and they'll sort of sort it out. Well, I think Helen Mirren, probably. That would be good. She, she came straight to my mind then. I admire her enormously. Um, there's so many though, you know, I mean... Cumberbatch. I mean, there's just so many that I just think are fabulous. Well, again, for all the listeners, I'd like to encourage them to join me on my campaign to get Catherine Tate to do a show with me. So please go over to her Instagram and just hound her with messages. I'm only joking, don't hound her. But give her a comment and ask her to listen to the podcast and maybe she'll come on. One of my favourite things to sort of talk about are just crazy stories from the industry and I know you didn't go to drama school or anything but later on when you moved to the states you picked up training again do you have any funny or crazy stories that you can share with us from the industry well I mean those you know embarrassing moments things uh stage is the greatest place for that yeah and I remember um when I was still you know a kid so like, like 18 19 doing um doing the Scottish play there's no theatre around here, so I'm allowed to say Macbeth. Um, oh, say yeah, it. Don't say it. Don't no, say it's it. my favourite play. I played Malcolm. And, um, yeah, so Malcolm and um, uh, his brother, Edgar, is it? Um, end up having a fight at the end of the of the play. And I'm not ruining the end of it for anybody. but <laughs> I mean, so if you we, haven't read Shakespeare by now, it's going to get spoiled <laughs> one way or another. Yeah. Anyway, so... At the end of this, the uh, the producer director guy had had contrived that we would have this massive sword fight with two massive steel swords that they had built for the occasion. And during the sword fight, the Edgar, the good uh, guy, was supposed to kill um, Edmund. That's me, so that's right. And mm. um, that, uh, so that was King Lear. I'm talking about it was King Lear. And uh, so the fight goes on, and I'm in King Lear, and we have clash, 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 clash. And then his blade fell off his sword. I can see it happening. We're on the stage. It's a drama. It's been going on for three effing hours. And um, the people have been sitting there on these very uncomfortable seats in this hall watching this drama. And we've come to the, you know, the climax of it is the sword fight at the end of which everything gets sorted out in the end of the play. Well, what do you do? Um, at the time, I was a rugby player. I played rugby quite, at quite a high level, as it happened. So, it, you know, I just thought, oh, right. So I, his sword broke. So I threw my sword away and dived on him. But he was just a little guy. And I was a huge rugby player. So I grabbed him and flipped him over so he was straddling me, you know. So now, but by now, the audience was just roaring with laughter. And then it, it just got louder and louder as he tried to beat me to death with the handle of the sword. So that was that. Then I had my experience in Spamalot. Was, was, I was doing that on the West End for, for six months. And um, boy, you know, that was probably the highlight of my life doing that. It was just marvellous fun. Um, and um, 
but one night in the in the in the black black knight scene where I have the sword fight with him and his arm falls off in his other arm and he gets skewered to the to the door. I don't know if he ever saw it, but if you ever get the chance, you must see it. It's wonderful. Anyway, um, uh, you know, but a flesh wound and all that stuff. Well, on this one night, I swung the, the sword, hit his left arm and his right arm fell off. It's so typical, isn't it? I've no idea why. <laughs> and I'm standing there facing upstage, looking into this guy's eyes. He's facing the audience and his eyes just were the size of saucers. And I could see that we had no idea what he was going to do next. So I looked at him. He looked at me. It seemed like an hour went by. It was probably 30 seconds. And I turned to the audience and said, you know, when all else fails, tap. And I can't tap. So I just stood there and tried to tap. And they just roared with laughter. And while they laughed, he put his arm back on and we went back to the thing but so those are a couple of the incidences that i've had there's some of my favorite things and there's a whole game coming up about them and i'm excited to play it again um but i quickly want to talk to you about one of my favorite tv shows of all time which is ugly betty and you obviously played bradford mead and head of the mead corporation how did you end up getting that role what was the audition process like well it was interesting you should say that i i actually i as you mentioned i, I when i got to america at the age of 52 I decided to get an acting teacher. And uh, I, I found uh, someone here who just, she's absolutely fabulous. And remember the question she asked me, I'm, I'm just as a side thing, remember that question and bring me back to it. But, but uh, I, I when I first met her, she said to me, well, you know, you're obviously a very successful actor. You've worked constantly for 25 years. So, you know, why do you think you need me? And I said, well, one of the things that I find happens to me is that when I read a script, I get a script in the mail and I read it. I can see all the characters. You know, I, I read the thing and I you know, read their background and I see what it, and I can see them all. But when I get to my character, it's a little bit like snow on the TV. It just, I can't, I can't see my character. So I, I, I take a stab at it and it's been, I've been successful and it's fine, but I don't like that feeling. I'd love to know, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to see my character more clearly. And she said to me, um, who's your favorite actor? And I said, Gene Hackman. And she said, well, he's a perfect example of the, what I'm saying. She said, it's the thoughts that matter. What are you thinking? What is the character thinking? So as someone's talking like I'm talking to you right now you're thinking things you're thinking about what I'm saying you're also thinking about what you're going to do next and am I taking too long you know all of that stuff's going on in your head well that's when you're playing a character really important and why I say that is that she said this to me I then went to classes for three years and worked on that and that's where I think my why the career has gone on because I had a other guy I forget now it's really rude. Anyway, I had a guy, a director, contact me recently, and he described my acting as chameleon, you know, because each character's, even though they're always the guy in a suit, each character is actually quite, you know, different. Yeah. And it's because I work on, I don't worry about them being different. I just work on what would they, what would Radford Mead be thinking now? So in this instance, I went to Leslie, my teacher, and, and uh, said, I've got an audition. I, I, I'd quite like to get this one what about we do a session? So I went in and saw her and um, we, we went through it and she adjusted this and that. And then she suddenly said, and the scene that was the audition scene is a scene where I walk into the office and my son is in the office and I walk in there and I'm, you know, mm. I'm sick of him because he's, he's a 
wish stopping as secretaries, you know, and I think it's time we get ugly Betty. Let's find someone who is not going to yeah. want to stop so we can get some work done, for God's sake. And um, in the scene, um, there was uh, that you know, supposedly a bush in the his office, like a you know decorative tree thing in the office. And in the script, it said that the, there were some undies, some ladies' underwear in the in the bush. So Leslie saw all this, read it all, and then she said, "Hang on," and disappeared. And she came back with a bright red pair of lacy undies, and she said, "Take this with you." And I did, and put them in my pocket. And so. When I walked in, and I didn't show anyone of this, but as the scene developed and it came to the point where I picked these up and said, it's time you had a new assistant, I can't remember what the lines were, um, yeah. I just whisked them out of my pocket and held them up. I think that probably had some influence in me getting the part. It's such a great TV show, and it was, it was very... It was so groundbreaking for its diverse and inclusive cast. Um, but I just, I, I want to know, you got to work with some of my favourite actresses, Vanessa Williams and Judith Light. I can't imagine that it was much of a hardship. No, no, it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, fabulous people. One of the things that, that you will probably already have realised having done this is that, you know, very few of the people who are successful in this business are anything but very humble because we know how lucky we are. And I think one of the things that's really important if you are about to sort of embark on the process is to remember never to give up, ever. You never give up. That's just that's the thing. So when people will tell you you're terrible, I mean, I had an acting teacher when I was in my teens. He was the guy that directed most of these plays that I did. I did four or five, you know, as an amateur. Um, and I, I went to Australia and the first job I did there was a, a three-year run on a show called The Young Doctors. It was just a you know, medical soapy thing at six o'clock at night instead of the news. My dad, I was coming home to New Zealand to visit the family and my dad decided to have a party for me. You know, so And one of the people he invited was this guy. Well, I walked in the room and so I've been three years in Australia now. So I'd been a professional actor for four years now. So walked into the, the room and there he was, oh, there are my dear. So I never thought you were an actor's ass. And I looked at him Jesus. and I said, well, you can go and get, and walked away. And I never spoke to him again. And I sort of regretted that because it would have been quite good to have talked to him about that a bit. You know, it was stuff I'd quite mm. like to have known about that because there's probably things that I do still that, that annoyed him that I could probably have changed. So, But I also think it's always very lovely to have that moment and I actually had it about four weeks ago and we had our industry showcase and I have been very sort of nice in the fact that I've never properly told the story of what happened in drama school I've never mentioned what drama school I went to even though it may be obvious and I walk out of my showcase to go and network with all of the industry people that have been and I walk up the stairs into this sort of mezzanine of drinks and all that jazz and I just see two of my old lecturers that sort of made my life a living hell and I was very confident in saying and again I, I try to sort of be humble about it because I have tendencies to be a bit self-inflated and know that what I'm so but I knew I'd done a really good job it was really lovely even though I didn't want to to see them and interact with them it was really lovely to for those people that had sort of really got me down to see me succeed and I think that's so great and Sometimes you don't even need to have the conversation and it's just as satisfying to know that they're eating humble pie. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Good for you. This episode of Drama School Dropout is brought to you by High Productions' newest stage play, 
This is where we get off. This is where we get off follows the Moffat family through some of the most difficult days of their lives. Yvonne is seven months pregnant. Her husband Philip is constantly disappearing and leaving dodgy phone bills behind. Their 18-year-old son Lip is debating joining the army and trying to navigate his love life. And their dog-breeding, sex-toy-selling neighbour Rhonda is still doing her weekly shop in their kitchen. How will they cope with the unexpected arrival of an estranged family member? You can catch This Is Where We Get Off in Glasgow at the Webster's Theatre on the 21st of April with more dates to be announced. Get your tickets now at www.highproductions.co.uk. But what I do want to ask, and I know you've sort of spoke about what advice you would give, and we are coming up to graduation season, and in Britain there's 7,500 people that graduate from drama schools every year. What would you say to everyone that's coming into the industry now? You've got to want it very, very badly. I've got I've got four sons. All of them would have liked to have been doing this. I say that's not true. Three of them would have liked to be doing this. One of them is in England. Um, he was a radio announcer, ended up on Kiss, I think, and um, Hot 100 or something. But the others have all been um, had hankering for it, and I have to give them advice. And it's um, it's difficult because everyone has the big thing. I would say is that it is your experience. This is going to be your experience, yeah. and so there's no rules to follow. There are rules. People will tell you, "Don't do this," and make sure you don't do that. Don't worry about it. Just be good. That's all you have to be. Work hard. Know your lines. And when you think you know them, that's when you're ready to start learning them. Learn them so that you can say them backwards. Learn them so well that, because here, Americans don't. They don't do that. You come here and you walk into a room and you have the script in your hand, but you don't look at it and your character's good. You know, you're way ahead already. And the other thing that I would say one of the things that people you know, so often do, they want to stand out, right? So they get the script and they know there's a hundred other people all you know, throwing you know, something on tape and sending it in. So they try to think, what can I do that's going to be different from all the other people? Well, one of the things that I've noticed, and I've had people comment on this before, is that actors are so busy doing that that they don't read the instructions. Every side, set of sides, you know, scene that you're going to use as your audition, piece has all of the instructions there whether it's an exclamation mark whether it's dot 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 whether it's a word pause or you know whether or then or there's instructions right through those pages if you follow those instructions to the letter you'll be unique because every other actor thinks he has to do something different so get your script learn it so that you know it backwards and make sure that you touch all of the things. Because remembering, when a person writes a script, he has to fight for every word. He's got to fight the director, the, yeah. other, the director, he's got to fight the producer, he's got to fight the network, every word. And if he's got pause there, they've asked him 20 times, why have you got pause there? Why? You know, leave it to the <laughs> actor. You know, no, I really want that to be a pause. So, so, if you, so the actor comes in, does the scene, and doesn't do the pause because he, he wants to be different. Well, you know, that's the guy you've got to impress. He's sent you the instructions. Follow the fucking instructions. Chances yeah. are you'll be unique. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I, I totally agree just because I'm currently, me and my best friend wrote a play through lockdown. And we're now currently in the process of directing it. And we're in the middle of rehearsals. And even, even silly things when we were doing auditions, the way that I would set out very clear instructions just on how to film your self-tape, and it's, it sounds so stupid that when I say 
I don't want to see any videos in portrait mode. But the whole reason is that is because I stick the videos on my big TV. And if you're in portrait mode, I only see a tiny little oh, bit. Right. Yeah, right. Whereas if you go in landscape, you fill the full screen and I see right, you more. Right. Like I would say to people, I'm really sorry, but I don't want to see your tape anymore because it's in portrait. I can't see what well, you're that's, doing. See, that's so interesting. I didn't know that when I've learned something today. So that's good. Well, if, if you're watching it, if somebody, if you send a tape and you're in portrait mode and somebody watches it on their phone, that's fine. But I know I like to get, I wait until the deadline hits when I'm casting something and I will put them all the videos in onto one big file and I'll plug my phone into my TV and I'll watch it on a big screen right. with the notebook. Yeah. And if it comes up and you're only taking up this much of the screen, I can't see what you're doing as well. Whereas if somebody's doing it this way and they're the full length of the screen. Yeah, yeah. It's just technically obvious to do, but if you if you're not ever doing yeah. that, then you don't realize it, and so you sort of think, well, I don't know, I'll just do it that way. I, I have actually sent one off. Mm. Actually, I think in the last month that I did do it that way, and um, you're probably mm. right. I, I would imagine it pissed them off completely, but here we are. I didn't know. It doesn't piss me off. It just sort of I go well. I can't see what you're doing, so I'm not even going to judge yeah. you. Yeah, well, or if some other guy does a nice performance and you can see him, then you go with him. Mm. That's it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm. And it also just shows me that they can't follow instructions because I clearly say <laughs> a self-tape in a landscape mm. format. And that, you know, I'm telling you, when you're working on shows, um, you wonder why I have a long history of, you know, I had trouble with the Grundy's people, the making neighbours. I did have trouble with them because they were they were mean. They were just, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is that's then, this is now, it was a great time. I um, brought up two kids on my own while I did Neighbours. So it, it, it gave me a job, you know, that I could go to every day. So it was great. So I'm not complaining about it at all. But I'm just saying that um, apart from that, everywhere I've been, I have a good reputation because I studiously make sure of that. You know, because the people like to work with people they like. So the first thing they do is pick the phone up. So you worked with so-and-so. How did he go? You know, oh, he was great. Nice guy. And, you know, and the first yeah. thing I remember thinking when I'd done the first job in New Zealand, I thought, I don't want to be one of, one of those one-hit wonders. You know, you do one thing, you're never seen again. And Neighbours could have done that. And it sort of was doing that to me in Australia. So coming here was good for that. That sort of, they didn't know Neighbours it was never shown here, so it's yeah. great. Very, very well known in, uh, in the UK, though. My mum loves Neighbours, Home and Away. I never quite clicked onto them. I grew up with, I don't know if you know them, Coronation Street, EastEnders. I grew up with Coronation Street, so that's how long that's been going. That must be... Must be uh, that's 60 years. I feel like it's either just hit 60 or just about to hit yeah. 60. Yeah, well, we got it in New Zealand. Yeah, that we only had one channel, so, you know whatever was on TV was what you watched. You know, it wasn't a matter of, we had no yeah. choices. So um, that was still virtually when I left. I and mean, they got a second channel just about the time I left New Zealand. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, mm. it's good. I um, I had one meeting with an agent after my, um, my showcase and it ended up falling through. It just wasn't a good match. And they said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I, there's nothing that I don't want to do. I sort of want to do loads of different things and try my hand out, but I would really love to do Coronation Street or EastEnders because I grew up watching them with like my grandma and things like that. And I, I, I'm not an idiot. I know that I don't have a lot of time left. My grandma's nearly in her eighties and I'd love to see her, love for her to see me in something that we grew up watching together. And that's just always been 
what I've wanted to do, but I don't know. I think it'd probably ruin the mystique of it for her. She'd be like, well, I know it's not real now because you're not here. Yeah, I guess. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I remember, I, you know, there have been times when I've been an absolute prick about things like that. My mother said to, she wanted me to go around to this old people's home because she knew a lady there who was a big fan of mine and I didn't want to go, so I didn't, you know. So, you know, I, you know, we've had those times. But anyway, I just think... Um, um, I think that what you're doing is what you what you said to them should have should have they should have represented you straight away because you're not saying no, no I don't want to do soaps. You see, that's the other thing. As life goes on, and now I'm in some more shows and I'm directing a show, so hopefully there's plenty of chances. I'm waiting on show real stuff to come, and I can reach out to a wider wider network of agencies. And if anybody's listening from an agency, my email is in the show notes <laughs> down below. Get in touch, and I'll I'll send you my yeah. material. But we're going to play a game now, and it's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And it's one of my favourite games in the world to play. And it's um, three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth that have been submitted by our listeners. And one of them is a big fat lie that has been made up by one of our producers. And it's our job to find out which one is the lie. And I've got the answer in a sealed envelope so I can play along with you. And these are my favourite thing in the world. I've devised whole performances in uni around these stories, so... Number one, I was the only person of colour in my high school's drama department and my teacher decided that we were going to do Hairspray for our school musical. I was cast as Corny Collins. Number two, my boyfriend and I were cast in the same show right after drama school and I walked into the boys' dressing room one day and saw a hoodie by my boyfriend's station. I picked it up and put it on and started wearing it in between shows for about a week and when I handed it back to him at the end of the week for him to wash, he told me that it wasn't his. And this random guy that I'd never really spoken to before turned to me and said, yes, that'll be mine. I had been wearing someone else's hoodie for a week and had even been wearing it to the warm-ups where he was present. He must have thought I was a right creep. Number three, right before the pandemic, I was in a panto and there was a kid about three rows from the stage and they were a bit restless. So about 45 minutes into the show, the kid's mother pulled out a Nintendo Switch from her handbag and handed it to the kid who proceeded to play with it with the volume turned all the way up. It lasted about two minutes until one of the ushers came and told them to turn it off. So I'm I'm going to hope that the person of colour, who was the only person of colour, wasn't cast as Corny Collins in Hairspray. So I'm going to say that I hope that one's the lie, but you can pick whatever one oh, you I like. See. Well, you see, the trouble is I, I've never seen Hairspray, so I don't... Um, it's, um, it's a show about um, racial integration and there's lots of you can't really do it without a, a heavily diverse ah. cast so if they're the only person of color and then corny collins is a white character oh, right so it's just yeah so it shouldn't have been it's a bit tasteless but it doesn't it's, but it seems to me that that it might be tasteless but it's probably what they did um so. yeah I, i'm just hoping that it's not true <laughs> all right well i i mean yeah. All right, then. Well, let's see. Are you going to come with me and go on with number one? I think, prob- I'm, I'm, right. I, I think so. so I the other two is... things are so normal. Yeah. It was number three. So the pantomime, the, the one with, so that was the lie. So the hairspray one was true. Wow. I mean, I'm not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> it's our industry, my friend. It's, it's very That's tasteless, though. It's our industry. Yeah, it does. It happens a lot and so things need to be done about it. But we're coming to the end now of our podcast. I've had such a great time chatting with you. Have you got any exciting projects coming up? Anything that people can look well, out for? I'm, I'm about to um, 
I'm having discussions. I'm something in Australia at the moment, but I um, which would be quite fun because I haven't been, you know, because of the pandemic, we haven't been down there for three years. So, mm. but I, but I don't really. Um, I and again, you know, I'm a little bit older now because I'm in my seventies, and so um, the, you know, I'm, I'm I want to work, but I I only want to do what I want to do. I, I, I've been away. I've had two three years actually in uh, Cape Town and. Uh, five years now in Atlanta, I think I'd like to work here. <laughs> yeah. Do a little yeah, bit of LA. stay here and, you know. Quick and easy be, be, commute. Yeah. I did that, you know, when I did the OC. Um, it was less than a mile from my house. It yeah. was fantastic. I do. Now, then then <laughs> the next thing, I'm bloody Cape Town shooting. Anyway, it's all good. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so lovely to chat to you. And um, genuinely, I've really enjoyed our chat. And if you're ever back over in Scotland, what I always say is the first round of pints are on me, but then you're the working actor, so the rest are on you. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's absolutely fair. I look forward to it. <laughs> oh, me too. Absolutely. But genuinely, thank you so much. I've been such a huge fan of yours. Like I said, Ugly Betty was one of my favourite TV shows growing up. I just rewatched it maybe six really? weeks ago on interesting. Disney+. Plus. That's interesting yeah. because, you know, when the two at the front desk, Michael and uh, forget her name. Um, uh, Becky Newton. Becky, yeah. I mean, they were, that, they were a surprise. They like he was. He came in as a sort of like a recurring character, but he was so good, mm. and the character popped so much, and the two of them really, you know, sizzled together. That um, that's because when we started to do the show, it, I was supposed to be in Anna Wintour character was um, yeah. was what um, um, Vanessa was supposed to sort of play, but that dark side um, didn't pop, and the the comedy stuff that those two young people were doing was really popped. So they changed the, the yeah. direction of the show a bit. That's which is why eventually you know I I wandered off. And uh, came to actually, I came from there to London and did uh, Spamalot. Well, you definitely got some great scenes, especially in that big, um, the big cathedral in. I don't know if you filmed that one bit in New York and everything, but yeah, I, I one of my favourite TV shows. I've been a massive fan of you for years, and I'm just very grateful that you've taken the time out Pleasure. of your day to come on okay. and chat to me. But I will let you get back to normal life. Enjoy that Hollywood sun, because I am looking out at the pitch black. Glasgow night. Well, right it's a now. coldish day today, but we had 80 degrees last week. So, you know. Your coldish days are still days that I could walk about in shorts and a t shirt. Yes, that is. I've got two jackets to go to the shop. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good night. And there we have it. Another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 70 completed. Thank you so much to Alan for coming on the podcast. Genuinely absolutely loved my time chatting with you and make sure to follow me on social media at ingram noble on all of the platforms alan unfortunately doesn't do social media so there's nowhere that you can keep up to date with what he's doing but remember if you're feeling extra generous please leave a rating and a review on the podcast it helps us out so much you don't even know and click that subscribe button so that you get notified every time there is a new episode of drama school dropout you can get your tickets for This Is Where We Get Off at the Webster's Theatre on the 21st of April by clicking the link down in the show notes below. And if you have a story for Stage Right or Stage Shite, please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com. And remember, you can now become an official Drama School Dropout too by signing up to our Patreon. And remember, you get loads of exclusive content and lots of exclusive 
benefits that only our Patreons can get. I'll be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode and I'll be joined by one of my favourite actresses. So please make sure to come back same time, same place next Tuesday. Have a great week. Stay safe. I love you. Bye. Drama school dropout. No graduation day for you. Drama school dropout. Fucked your whole course. Now try something new. Drama school dropout.